Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we will answer as we get our minds and heart on Jesus. Good afternoon, family. It's a great day to worship the Lord, celebrate our freedom. And as we celebrate our freedom and we've taken this Lord's Supper to assure us that Jesus has triumphed over evil, that we are overcomers. Thank you, Danny, for that introduction, for that Lord's Supper lesson, because yes, we're going to talk about making choices today. And the choices don't negotiate with evil. We've spoken about overcoming evil a few weeks ago, and we're going to study an example to help us ensure that we don't end up trying to make a pact with evil. Because sometimes when we're assaulted by evil, what do you do? Evil is all around us. Evil permeates this sphere where we're living right now. We're not of the world, but we have to live in the world. And we have to understand what the forces are around us. What do you do when you're attacked by your enemy? And I'm not, not talking about a person here or a group of people. I'm talking about evil. And evil chooses to use any kind of human agency to try and attack you. What do you do if you feel manhandled, victimized, oppressed, humiliated by evil? What is the proper response that we ought to have as God's people? Whether that evil is coming from us, because that's the thing, we can't escape it. It's even in us. How do we handle that? Or maybe from around you, bullying you, coercing you to conform to it, because that's evil's plan, to get you to conform to it, to say, hey, it's okay, nothing's wrong, we're doing good, we're fine. Why don't you join us? We're having a great time. That's what it's trying to do. How do we get up from under it? So in order to illustrate this, I'm going to study, we're going to read an account here in 1 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to try to get through the whole chapter. It's a short chapter. And with this account, we're going to get some pointers from what happened here. Let's start reading in 1 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to show some of the scriptures above, but you can follow me in your Bible if you want to. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And here's an Ammonite, Nahash, the Ammonite. He came up and he laid siege. He laid siege to Jabesh Gilead. I don't know if you know what laying siege to a city means. That we, we don't really understand those examples living in modern society. But they basically surrounded the city and cut off any kind of supply that could come in or out to get these people to surrender. That's what laying siege means. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, they said, oh man, you know, we can't fight you, so make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. They understood that. So Nahash the Ammonite replied, I'll make one with you on this condition, that I gouge out everyone's right eye and humiliate all Israel. Whew. Those are tough terms, man. You know, how willing are you to negotiate if somebody's going to take out your right eye? How many here would be willing to negotiate at that cost? None of you. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> 
They said, don't do anything to us. These are the elders. Don't do anything to us. For seven days, the elders of Jabesh said to him, let us send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. And if no one saves us, hey, we'll, we'll surrender to you. We have no choice. Now, sometimes we act like the men of Jabesh. When confronted with evil, we immediately tried negotiating with evil instead of taking a firm stand in the truth of God. We try to peacefully coexist with evil. But isn't that an oxymoron, right? Peacefully coexist with evil? How does, how does that work? Can, it, can that even be true? Can there be true peace if we try to negotiate with evil or, or seek to coexist with it? Perhaps that might be a semblance of peace, but true peace? That doesn't happen unless you overcome evil with good. If you're tempted to do evil, do you seek to peacefully coexist with yielding to the temptation? Is it okay to say, I'm fine with yielding to this temptation? If you think that's fine, then you might also think that there is no consequence to the sin that you're contemplating on doing, and that there will be no effect to you or to those around you. Sin and evil work by intimidation, by disgrace. Pretty much what the Ammonites did to the elders of Jabesh. They laid siege to that city. They bullied them into submission. And that's what evil seeks to do to you. Sin and evil try to bully you into making a choice that you don't really want to make. And they try to want, they, they try to have you come up with it fast. Kind of like a good salesman, right? Hey, hey, get this deal today. It's not going to be tomorrow. You have to choose it now. I don't know about you, but I've resolved a long time ago to never, ever make a deal with somebody who's trying to tell me that I have to do it today or that I have to do it right now. <laughs> never a good choice. Because that's what evil does. It tries to intimidate you to make it right now so you don't have time to think so that you're confused. You might think, well, I don't have any other options. So yeah, it sounds like a great deal. Let me go for it. And boom, you're right there in the net. You often hear people say, well, I had to make a choice of the lesser of two evils. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you've said it yourself, right? I had to choose the lesser of two evils. But the reality is that the lesser of two evils is still evil. Isn't it? Did God say overcome evil with a lesser evil? Do firemen put out fires with a little fire? No. Don't let Satan intimidate you into making a bad decision. If you find yourself often apologizing to God for making bad choices or because you've suffered the consequences of these, of these choices, you may be like these men in Jabesh-Gilead. You might be making treaties with evil. You're trying to coexist with evil instead of overcoming it, because that takes less effort, doesn't it? It's the path of least resistance, which is what sin always takes. The men of Jabesh-Gilead said, Oh, well... They, they got us, so, all right, how can we make a treaty? But let me tell you something. These elders made one wise choice. You know which one that, that is? They said, 
Wait seven days. That is smart. Right there, that little choice in the midst of the intimidation is really what ended up saving them. Smart move there. So how do we overcome this evil that is constantly fighting against us? How, how do we stop negotiating with evil and sin? So I'm going to propose to you five things that happened in this account in 1 Samuel 11. And we're going to go through them. We're going to wait on the Lord. We have to grieve over the sin that has us in that situation. We have to also rejoice. Isn't it interesting? Grieve and then rejoice, which is often the case when we're living in the world. We have to prepare for battle and ultimately stand in awe as God saves us from what we might think there is no salvation. So let's learn these things and keep reading to see what happened so that we can gain these practical points. In 1 Samuel 11 verse 3, notice... The elders said, don't do anything to us for seven days. Let us send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. If no one saves us, okay, then we'll surrender to you. So they were willing to make a treaty at first. They were like, oh man, we're surrounded. Uh, uh, we don't have the power. We can't overcome these people. You know what? Let's, let's make a treaty for it. And they were willing to pay that high cost of an eye. That's a high cost. But maybe they were like, man, you know, this is a high cost. Let's at least tell them to wait for a little bit. Let's see if we can get out from under them another way because this is too high a price. So I hope that if you're considering the sin and the evil that's surrounding you at this moment, some of you are, are ready there to make a treaty. You're ready to sign a contract with evil in your life because you think you can peacefully coexist with it. But you're saying in your head, man, you know, this is, this is a high cost. Is there another way? I'm praying that you make this choice right here and that you learn to wait on the Lord. Because that's what they did. That's the equivalent of us. When, when he said, let us send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. That's the equivalent of us praying to God. I'm not going to make a choice with this evil that's confronting me right now I'm going to just sit still and pray and seek some advice before I do anything that's the first thing you need to do if you're too quick in making a choice your default setting is to coexist with evil that's what the sinful nature does we have to learn to stand but to learn to stand you need to tell evil to take a chill pill and wait. Now, I got some consulting to do with the Lord. We don't want to make hasty choices just to coexist. The best choices take time and effort. It's not the path of least resistance. It's the hard path. Well, let me consult with my brothers and sisters. And your sinful self might be like, no, man, you know, you got this. You make the choice. You know what's best for you. Like Danny was saying, we think we know what's best for us. And we don't want to talk to others. We don't want to get beneath that. Well, you're getting beneath evil then. Which one would you prefer? Who do you want to be bullied by? We often don't see how to escape. The men of Jabesh Gilead, there was a siege against their city. They did not know how to escape. They couldn't see the escape. Often we don't see the escape. And God promised he gives us an escape, doesn't he? But we often don't see it. You know why we don't see it? 
Because we're tempted to negotiate with evil. The deal looks too good. Even though the price may be high, you still consider it. That's your sinful self. You don't seek advice. You don't, you don't even bother to go to God in prayer. The first thing you need to do is call that time out. Stop. You know how they give an instruction? Stop. Roll. Right? When there's like a fire or something. What is it? Stop. Roll. Stop. Drop. Roll. Hey, that sounds like a good technique for us. Right? Stop. Drop to your knees. Roll around in the dust and ashes <laughs> before you consider the deal. Have you ever wanted to read the Bible in plain English, a language that you can actually understand and follow? Well, there is a translation like that called God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nations Mission Society. This is the only translation of the Bible in English that follows a dynamic equivalent translation philosophy. It makes the Bible very easy to understand and it flows very naturally in the English language. You can follow along my podcast where I read to you from God's Word Translation for one whole year. You can search for the podcast on Spotify or your favorite podcast reader. Search for God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nation Mission Society. You can also look it up under my name, Pedro Gelibert. Because I know, I know how it is. You might be facing some tremendous trial at this point in your life. You're at your wit's end, like these men were. You're on the receiving end of that bullying. But don't despair. Make the right choice. Call a timeout. Stop, drop, and roll. The next step is we have to grieve. If you notice here in verse 4 of Samuel, 1 Samuel 11, when the messengers came to Gilead, because the messengers responded, they sent messages all throughout Israel, and they responded quickly. Because see, the Lord is always hearing. There's always a response from the Lord. And they came to Gibeah, Saul's hometown, and told them the terms of the people. And they all wept aloud. Israelites knew how to grieve, man. They're not like us. You know, we're, we're, we're a bit troubled with that. We don't know how to emotionally express ourselves. We think that crying or weeping is, is a sign of weakness. And our culture, you know, doesn't allow it. That's not healthy, brothers and sisters. We need to learn to grieve and to weep and to cry. It may be that you're doing that because there is sin in you that's got you in this situation. That sin that you've partaken either in the past or now is laying siege against you. And evil is around you. You have to weep. You have to weep for that sin. Just like when the, the people did when they heard about that intimidation. They were not ashamed to show their emotion in that healthy way. Too often we think sin and circumstances are happening to us. That we have no control but the truth is that we often find ourselves there because we made bad choices. And then all of a sudden, oh, help me. You're weeping to get attention. But you need to weep because you got yourself in that situation. Otherwise, there's no repentance. You need to learn to weep. Recognize what you've done. Okay? Let God put your nose right there in that awful sin that you did 
and change your mind about it. Because if you don't, then you're just going to perpetuate this sinful cycle. You're going to get victimized all over again. You got to move forward with the right way of thinking about it. So you defeat evil and you stop negotiating with it. That's how you win. If you're facing a terrible trial due to someone else's sin, well, similarly, you're going to grieve about that person's sin. God called you to parti participate in that and to grieve with that person. Weep over it. Cry aloud. There's no shame in that. And you'll get through that grief with insight and determination. Own the sin, whether it's yours or someone else's, so that you can change your mind about it and move forward. Third, rejoice in the Lord. See, we usually want to take the shortcut of not grieving. We just want to get out from under the situation. We love taking those shortcuts. But it's not possible for you to, able, to be able to rejoice in the Lord unless you first grieved and wept over what got you there in the first place. What got you victimized. But yes, there is rejoicing in the promises of God because Saul, when he finds out about this, notice what happens here. He said, what's the matter with the people? Why are they weeping? This is Saul, newly elected king. Okay, he hadn't made any bungles yet. <laughs> and they repeated to him the words of the men of Dabish. Then when Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God suddenly came powerfully on him. And his anger burned furiously. The terror of the Lord fell on the people and they went out united. So Saul hears about this. And as the newly elected king, God's Spirit comes over him with determination to overcome this enemy. Saul is the anointed king of Israel at the moment. He was called to be king for times like these, to be able to overthrow any enemy that Israel would have. A few verses down, we read in verse 9, He told the messengers who had come, Tell this to the men of Jabesh Gilead. Deliverance will be yours tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot. So the messengers told the men of Jabesh, and they rejoiced. Now I want you to notice something here. They were rejoicing. Were they still in trouble? Yes. <laughs> the city was still under siege. They still had that thread hanging over their heads. But they rejoiced. Because they believed what was going to happen. They trusted God at that point. That there was going to be deliverance. They trusted that when Saul said, Deliverance will be yours tomorrow. They totally trusted that and they were able to rejoice even though they still felt the effects of the siege. And this is something worthy of imitation, brothers and sisters. We need to be at that point in our lives and trusting God and in our faith that no matter if we feel that we're under siege, as we may feel times at times, we need to rejoice knowing that there will be an end. Maybe not tomorrow, <laughs> but maybe sometime soon. And we can rejoice though we are under siege. Why? Because we're not negotiating with evil. Because we're taking a stand. And we know the Lord will deliver us. That takes courage. And that's how our faith 
will grow. These men heard that their deliverance was coming soon. They rejoiced because they stood their ground. They rejoiced because they knew they didn't have to pay that high cost. And they trusted the Lord. They trusted those messengers. Similarly, can we trust the word of the Lord when he says that he will deliver us? Can we trust that Jesus has overcome and that we are overcomers? Is that something you believe? Because if it is, then when you meet these challenges in life and you accept them and you grieve over it and you know that you might be physically powerless against it, we serve a God who owns everything and in whose and who's under, everything is under his control. And we are his children. And he listens to us. And though there may be a season of being under siege, it will be because you refuse to negotiate with evil. And so for you, a crown of victory is awaiting. Because you refuse to coexist with evil here on this earth. That's the harsh reality that we need to prepare ourselves for. See, for the men of Javish Gilead, whew, maybe it didn't last that long. I don't know how long the siege lasted. But let me tell you, being under siege like that with threats like those, even for one day, wreaks havoc on your anxiety and on your emotion. I don't know about you, but have you been in situations like that? That if it's just for an hour, <laughs> that's too much. But you know, our Lord, as I shared with you some weeks ago, he is, he has unlimited peace, unlimited joy, unlimited resources. If you're willing to plug in and stand on his promises. Next step, prepare for battle. How do we prepare for battle? Well, let's see what happened in this account. In verse 10, it says, Then the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Tomorrow we will come out. And you can do whatever you want to us. Wow, that is bold. You realize that? These elders in the city, without any armor, without any promises, <laughs> they just went out there to their oppressor and said, hey, tomorrow we're going to come out and you can do whatever you want because we're not going to surrender. That takes boldness. That takes an assurance. That takes, that's, that's called standing firmly in the face of evil now we may not go into physical battle as Saul did that's what a king was supposed to do but Jesus is our king isn't he and he's reigning right now and he has an army and he is battling he is battling those forces and when I say battling, I kind of mean that metaphorically because in the book of Revelation, you know, you got this awesome description of a battle and how everybody was preparing. And, then, and, and you have to read carefully because you might miss it. Oh, and then the battle's over. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. How, when did that happen? And you have to kind of read between the lines and go back and you can see that there is no battle because God won. <laughs> what, what, can, what battle can there be? A seeming preparation of evil trying to... <sighs> and God said, it's done. Okay, let's move on. And what happened there? Oh, that's, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. The battle has been decided. So take your stand. Be courageous. Don't negotiate with evil. Don't do it. The people of Jabesh, if you notice, these elders, they didn't go into battle. 
What did they do? They were saved from it. <laughs> so similarly, we prepare with God's armor. And since we're fighting forces of evil, spiritual forces, we're not fighting people. Oftentimes, it really gets in our head that we're fighting a person. We're fighting a physical situation. And that's really not it. We have to get above that and understand that the forces that we're fighting, that only God can do it. And so we're, we're given an armor, and I'm going to get into this in the next point, or maybe now. Uh, like the people of Jabesh, we can tell the enemy, because we have that armor on, we can tell the enemy, do what you like, because we've got the armor of God, and we're protected. The battle is going to be over. I'm standing on the winning side. I don't know about you. And that's why we're given an armor. Notice here, I'm not going to go into the whole armor of God because that would take a whole another lesson. But it says here, for this reason, and he's talking about fighting the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. He says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to what? Resist in the evil day. You know, in the Greek it says, so that you may be able to stand against evil. Some translations will translate it that way. And having prepared everything to fight, to oppose, no, just to take your stand. So twice there, that's mentioned. You have to stand up. And that means I'm not negotiating. I'm not taking your terms, evil. I'm standing on the truth. If you like this podcast, please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. This ensures I will continue producing authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me. Thank you and have a blessed day. Let's break this down a little bit. Take up. That's uh, in the Greek that verb is an aorist verb, but it's in the passive voice. Very interesting, right? It means that the armor that I'm taking up, that I'm putting on, is not to fight an offensive battle. It's a passive thing. God gave me a gift. Every piece of that armor is a gift imbued with heavenly power. It is an armor that helps us stand, that helps us resist. And that's what we're preparing for. We're not preparing to go out there and, and hack the enemy to pieces. We can't do that. We're preparing by putting that armor on and making sure it stays on. Because I'm able to take a stand in that armor. It's the full armor of God. It's not some of the armor of God. In the Greek, that's panoplia, where we get that word panoply, the panoply of God. Did you know that when you were singing that song? The panoply, I don't know what that means, but that's what it means. The full armor of God. The full piece. You've got the whole thing. He hasn't left you unprotected, but he's given you full protection. But you got to wear it. That's up to you. It's there. The gift is there. You got to make sure you put it on, like he says there. Therefore, Put it on so that you can take a stand and resist. Stand, oppose, don't negotiate with evil. Don't let it take you a victim. But stand against it and oppose its effect in your life. 
and prepare everything, meaning don't leave any single piece out, but be prepared. Don't think that, oh, today we're not going to face evil. Let me just take the armor off, you know, figurative, figuratively speaking. Oh, no, every day has evil. Every day has some evil. Don't go out without putting your armor on. One of the important pieces of this armor is the helmet of salvation. That is the first one you need to make sure you got on. That's the one, that's the piece that activates all the other pieces. Because if you don't have your helmet of salvation on, you won't even know what the other pieces are for. And they're going to leave you completely unprotected. Without the helmet of salvation, your head will be crushed by the opposition. Your thoughts will be lost on the lies and the subterfuge of evil. Only in the gospel of Christ will you stand. And that's the salvation that Christ gives you. That the fact that he died, as that little icon shows us there on the lower right-hand corner, that's the gospel, that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised for you, to provide for you, to open a way for you, a way of salvation, a way to eternity, a way to true peace. Even though in this world you got one foot in the physical world, and after you put this helmet on, you got one foot in the spiritual world, that armor is going to help you negotiate through all the tough things that come forward so that you're able to stand firmly in the truth and not allow evil to take you in. This helmet of salvation seals the pact with us between God and man to give us His Spirit and so that we can wear this full armor proudly. Take your stand and be prepared. Make sure you got your full armor on. And the way that you get this helmet on is very simply. Just like Jesus Christ died and was buried and was raised again. We too join him in a death like his when we are baptized. When we're immersed in water. As Acts 2.38 says and in Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and 4. When we're ready to take to be on the side of God. And no longer want to be on the side of the world. We take that first step of faith. That first step of obedience and die a death like Jesus. But thankfully, as we are immersed in water, we die a death like his. And just like he was raised, we are raised to live a new life. And that's when you got that gift of the helmet of salvation. Now you're ready to put all the other pieces on and take a stand. Stand in awe, the last step. The last thing that these people in 1 Samuel 11 teach us is to stand in awe of God. The next day Saul organized the troops into three divisions and during the morning watch they invaded the Ammonite camp and they slaughtered them until the heat of the day. There were no survivors. That's how it's going to be. When Jesus Christ is revealed on the last day, there will be no survivors. At least those who stood with evil. There will be none. There won't be even time for the, for the forces of evil to say, ah! there won't be even time for them to do that. As soon as they think that they're raising their weapons, they will be defeated. And those of us who took a stand on truth will rejoice even greater. The slaughter, it's in graphic detail in the book of Revelation if you want to read about it. God willing, we will eventually study that book in our new building. But Saul decimated that evil. 
He decimated. He put it in his place. And make no mistake, Jesus has done the same. Matter of fact, the scriptures are so confident and so should we. That it says Jesus has overcome. It calls you to have overcome already. It's not that you will overcome. It's that you have overcome. By faith. And that should give us great confidence in anything that we fight here. Stand in awe as you, as you see God working out the influence around you. You know, Moses told the Israelites, because the Israelites at that moment in time didn't have any weapons either. And they were being oppressed. And they were being persecuted by a great army. And what did Moses tell them? Oh, you don't have to do anything. Just stand in awe and see the salvation of God. Now that scared the people to death. And of course, you know, you see a whole bunch of armies coming at you with all kinds of weapons and chariots. And you look at yourself and you're like, <laughs> I ain't got nothing. <laughs> yeah, that can scare your flesh. But you know what can fill you with terror? To see the salvation of God. <sighs> Those people were inspired Maybe not for long, because then <laughs> that's us, right? That's our story. We might be inspired one moment, and then we're back to negotiating with evil the next. We have to learn, brothers and sisters, to stop doing that. That our God is great and awesome, and that our struggle is not with people, but with the powers of darkness. Your armor equips you to stand firm in the middle of the battle and see and appreciate the salvation of God while you're, while you're still under siege. Trust God through that time of fear, of depression, of anxiety, whatever it may be that the devil is using to intimidate you. Trust that the salvation of God is coming. Why? Because he has already overcome. And that's really the whole message of the book of Revelation in a nutshell. All those words written in Revelation is really to tell us God is in control. Don't trust what you see. Don't trust what you feel because the battle's over already. We're already in heaven. It's just, the, it's, it's just that this time has to pass. But we're seated up there in the heavenly places. It talks about that as a surety more than anything else in this life. Therefore, don't negotiate with evil. Don't fall for it. There's nothing more than the forces of evil would like than to sabotage that seed of faith that has been put in you. Don't do it. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on that full panoply of God and stand in the truth and don't negotiate with evil. God expects us to stand firm when evil opposes us. Not only that, but God says that we overcome it with good. But how will you know the good if you feel like you're under siege? <laughs> or if you give yourself to that victimization? Don't do that because we're not called victims. We're called overcomers. Don't make choices out of fear. Don't make choices out of humiliation. Don't be content with making a choice that you might think, well, it's not that bad. Don't settle. God's certainly not settling for you. Don't settle for mediocre or the lesser of two evils, to put it what it is, because it's just as evil and it will perpetuate evil and sin in your life. Don't do it. Believe that you have over. 
come. As God told Paul, my grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness. Paul was <laughs> at this point being tormented by the enemy. But God says, don't worry about it. God didn't rescue him from it. He still had those thorns. But he said, my grace is sufficient. I have unlimited grace. And so that turned Paul's mindset around and said, okay, you know what? I'm going to boast then about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast about them because when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, he totally turned the tables on the devil. And that's why we can say, as it says in Romans 8, 37 to 39, and all these things we are more than conquerors to, through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things in the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything other, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. Right there where you sit, you have overcome. Just make sure you got your armor on. At this point, our elders were going to come forward. And if there's anything that you feel that, oh man, I can't handle this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to wear that armor. Or maybe you don't, you're not a Christian yet. You want to know what it takes to become a child of God. Please come forward and lay your request. That's first one, uh, first step, isn't it? As I shared with you, send those messengers out. Pray, stop, drop, roll. That's what, it, that's what you're going to get a chance to do here with our elders and lay those requests because God hears you and salvation comes from the Lord. We will be saved. God bless you. Have a good afternoon. 